let's jump in. John chapter 21, and then we'll jump back over to Luke chapter 1. Our study today starts with this question. Have you ever been asked to do a difficult task before? Uh, some of you are like, yes, how many times a day, right? Have you ever been asked to do a difficult task? But let me put a little caveat in this that someone else was not asked to do. Have you ever been asked to do a difficult task that someone else was not asked to do? Maybe in your co-working situation, maybe in your family, maybe in your community. It almost makes it more difficult sometimes because you start to develop this culture of comparison. Well, this time of year around Christmas, I think that culture of comparison is in full swing even more than it is typically. One of the first times I can remember feeling this way. So in my life, you could say uh, my, uh, my working career had two phases, PRL and uh, ARL, pre-Red Lobster and post-Red Lobster, after Red Lobster. Worked at Red Lobster for four and a half years. But before that, I had three jobs. I painted houses with my granddad. That was my first job. I was cheap labor. I wasn't very good, but I was very cheap, worked cheap, okay? And uh, then uh, for two weeks, I was a dishwasher at Don Pablo's Tex-Mex uh, Tex restaurant, scraping half-eaten enchiladas off of plates. And true story, I turned in my two weeks notice on the first day that I worked the job. And so after that, I got a job and I was for a year and a half a wallpaper's assistant uh, for a woman named Laura Turnipseed. Awesome, godly woman. And she was a heck of a business owner too. She had two employees, me and her husband. And so uh, we went around and worked at a whole bunch of different construction sites and it was new construction, a lot of it. And we would go and do the wallpaper. Well, on the first week on the job, um, Laura came up to me and she said, uh, you have a great privilege to work here for me because we're going to let you climb the ladder up to the top and you're going to do the really high parts. What they were doing back in those days is they would build new construction where there was crown molding, but you had high ceilings in the bathroom, but there was kind of a, an overhang above the room that usually had the toilet or that had the shower. And so somebody had to climb up in that little confined space and fix it so that it, you couldn't see that the wallpaper wasn't perfect up there. So you didn't have to be good at wallpapering that. You just had to be somebody who could climb around and just make sure you got to that spot. Well, Laura said, you get to be the one who does that. And I looked at her, I was like, why does it have to be me? I mean, I'm 16 years old, I mean, for crying out loud. I go, why does it have to be me? And she goes, because my husband can't fit up there. And she said, because I'm the boss. And I said, that's a good reason. And so from there, I ended up climbing up there. But my first response was, why me? Why do I have to be the one that has to do this? Even at 16 years old, there was that weird sense of entitlement on the inside that I should have as easy a path as anybody else could have. Now, here's the problem. When it comes to lordship, what we are saying to our God is you are in control. We trust you with our lives. We are your disciples, and we, we believe that you are the one fashioning our lives for such a time as this, and you provide purpose for us. And so here's the deal. we got two stories we're going to look at today where the Lord has crafted a very difficult, impossible path. And there are two responses to that. Look at what happens in John 21, starting in verse 15. Peter's our first case study right here, and then we're going to talk about Mary today. Look at what happens in John 21, verse 15. It says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Underline and highlight that word these. Now, one of the cool things about the Greek language is we can figure out what these is specifically talking about. That word these is referring to the fish that Peter and the disciples have caught in the passage that was just previous to this one. So Jesus looks at Peter and says, Simon, 
Simon, son of John. That's him letting him know he's using his full name, all right? Did your mom or your dad ever use your full name when you were in trouble? I mean, here's what happens. Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these fish? Isn't that interesting? The fish don't just symbolize fish. They symbolize money. They symbolize his livelihood, and they symbolize him having control of his own life. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than having control over your own life? Look at what he says. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, then feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, then take care of my sheep. Verse 17, the third time Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. What Jesus has just done here to Peter is say, you've got to love me more than having control over your own life. You've got to love me more than you love yourself. And he says, Simon, is there anything holding you up? And he says, Lord, you know I love you. You know I've given my life to you. You know that I am your disciple. I'll do whatever you've called me to do. Jesus said, then that goes for every aspect of your life. He said, you're going to go places that you didn't necessarily want to go. And even in the way that you die, you're going to die in a way that you wouldn't necessarily choose to die. Now, Jesus is not being cruel here. He's laying out for Peter the powerful life that he is going to live. But Peter does what we do. Look at what happens in verse 20. It says, but Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. This is John, was following him. And this was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the Lord's Supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? Look at verse 21. I love this. When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, "Uh, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Now stop there for just a minute. This story is beautiful because Jesus has just said to him, do you love me more than your control? Do you love me more than yourself? Do you love me more than anything in the world? And Peter goes, yes, yes, yes. And I'm offended that you would ask that. And then he says, then feed my lambs, follow after me, do the, live the life that I've laid out for you. Walk the impossible path that's in front of you. And what does Peter do? Why didn't Jordan have to walk that path? Why didn't Bertie have to walk that path? Why didn't Austin have to walk that path? Why is their life so much easier than mine is? And I love what Jesus' response is. He goes, if I want them to live forever, then I can do it if I want to. He said, this is about you, not about the person next to you. The problem with this time of year is we get so consumer-driven is it becomes a point where We compare ourselves in everything. And listen, in suffering, that's always a struggle to go, Lord, my life is hard. Why is their life so easy? This time of year, it turns it on its head a bit. And you go, why are they so blessed? Why have they gotten gifts that I don't have? Why do they have family contacts that I don't have? Why do they have children and I don't? Why is their work situation going so well and mine is not? And all of a sudden it turns into this wicked, wicked culture of comparison when the truth is this time of year is in celebration that the Lord loved us so much that he would send his son on that powerful rescue mission so that we could have hope. If you're taking notes, we'll quote here for you. Embrace the journey Almighty God has for you 
and trust that he has crafted it out of his great love for you. Not only has God crafted a path for you, but his heart behind it is his great love. Not like a kid with an ant farm to see you squirm. Not like a bug zapper to zap you when you do wrong. But the Lord has crafted this path for us out of his great love for us. Some of you are going to go home and you're going to see family and you're going to see the blessing that falls on their life. And instead of just being happy for them, like you know you should be, there'll be a twinge of jealousy, of envy, maybe even hatred, because that blessing has not fallen on you yet. Do not allow the enemy to have a foothold and steal your joy this holiday. Not only that, there may be some of you that come across friends or family from high school, middle school, elementary school even, where there's a weird, wicked thought in your head of why are they blessed? Why do they have more money? Why do they have a better life situation than I do? And then for some of you, what is crazy about this time of year is Facebook. Facebook can either be a gift from God or a gift straight from the pits of hell, right? Because here's what happens. You start to scroll, and if you're in that comparison culture, every single spot on Instagram, every single post on Facebook, every single quote on Twitter that comes up all of a sudden stirs that discontentment within your soul. If you find yourself falling into that, turn it off and set it down, ladies and gentlemen, and don't allow the enemy to steal your joy. Now, there are some of you that maybe what you need to do, did you know Facebook can be a great source of joy as well? If you come to the point that you are pure in heart and you truly are able to celebrate, do the scroll where you go and you pray for every single person that you come upon and just graciously thank God for the way that he's pouring into these people. Not only that, some of you have this happen. I'll be scrolling Facebook around Christmas and you'll see somebody who is deeply hurting. Instead of just posting, keep at it, or praying for you on the comment section, what if you took a chance to instant message and put together a really good message where you could lay out for them that you are praying for them and how you are praying for them? I'm telling you, what the enemy intends for evil, the Lord can repurpose for good. But your heart has got to be one that is not grounded in envy and comparison. We've got to have our heart grounded in trusting that God's in control. There is no better example of scripture in this, in my opinion, than when you look at Mary with the birth of Jesus. If you're taking notes, now flip over to Luke chapter one. We're gonna start in verse 26, and today we're gonna to address this question. What should we remember when an impossible task is ahead of us? What should we remember when an impossible task is ahead of us? I don't know that there was a more impossible task than for Mary to find out that she was going to carry the hope of humanity. Just for the record, there are a lot of scholars that love to debate how old Mary actually was. Can I just tell you what we know? She was young. That's what we know. This is a young woman in a male-dominated society during this point who's about to find out that she's pregnant with a child that is not going to be the child of the person that she was pledged to be married to. And because of that, I mean, she has got the pressure of the world on her shoulders. We're going to look at this real quick. I mean, you want to talk about an impossible task? She cannot do this on her own, and yet she trusts God and has incredible faith. What should we remember when an impossible task is ahead? Look with me, if you will, at Luke 1, verses 26 through 28. 
It says, in the sixth month, God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, to a town called Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, greetings, look at this, you who are highly favored, underline you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Stop right there for just a minute. The angel Gabriel shows up in the very first greeting, the first thing he says to this young woman is, look, you are not being punished. Isn't that interesting? He starts off and says, you are highly favored. What I'm about to share with you is an impossible path that you're about to walk, but this is not something that you are getting out of punishment. This is not something you are getting because you didn't measure up or because you did something bad. For Mary, the thought again of having to walk this path and then what we know now, having to watch her son take his last breath on the cross, having to bury his body, go through that process, and then to walk up and see the empty tomb, I'm telling you, the path that she would walk is a brutal, brutal path. The whole journey begins with greetings and you are favored by God. That word favored in our deep translation for modern times would be preferred, that the Lord actually preferred her for this moment. And then the angel follows up by saying, and you are not alone. The Lord is with you. When you go through a time of impossible difficulty, we got to remember the word of the angel to Mary. You're not going through this because God is punishing you. The impossible difficulty we navigate is the very purpose that we were created. And for such a time as this, we have to remember that the Lord is with us. If you're taking notes, write that down. What should we remember when an impossible task is ahead? Number one, you are not alone. You are highly favored, and the Lord is with you. I was writing this, and I kept thinking of it this way. You are his favorite child. I mean, is that funny? Do you ever wonder, some of you have multiple siblings? I mean, you pretty much know who the favorite child is in the family. You know what I mean? A lot of times, a parent would never say it. I see you guys looking at Geraldine over there. All right, okay, there it is, okay? <laughs> Geraldine's family's here looking that direction. Now, listen, you're not supposed to have a favorite child, but there typically is one, all right? And mine is, like I would say that on the podcast. I don't think so. Anyway, just kidding, Okay. You're preferred by God. You're not alone, and he's with you. The lie of the devil this time of year is that God doesn't care about you. And when we get into that culture of comparison, that culture of the scroll, then all of a sudden we begin to think to ourselves, maybe I am alone. Maybe I'm the only person who's ever gone through this. And we sink down further and further into that sand pit abyss, right? Where we feel like we're trapped, like we can't breathe. The enemy has you right where he wants you. If you can believe that lie that you are all alone. No, even Mary is highly favored and the Lord is with her. You are not alone. If you're taking notes, little quote here for you. Complicated missions are reserved for the highly favored. Let me say that again. Complicated missions are reserved for the highly favored. The Lord knows that you can handle that difficult situation. She is not punished because her situation is complicated. She was made for this moment. There's some of you in this room who've gone through a time of difficulty or you are going through one right now. And it can be within you to just go, Lord, why, why, why? Why is this happening to me? Why am I going through this? If it's beyond your control, you can know that you were made for this moment, that the Lord will guide you through. For some of you, it's not even necessarily a work situation or a family situation. There are some of you who've decided to live your life as disciples, and the Spirit is calling you to be a witness to those around you. Even pastors feel alone when we share the gospel. 
It's a tough deal to step out in faith and to share this message with people who you know are either going to receive it or they're going to shun you and think you're crazy. I mean, it's just the way that it goes. So even pastors have that moment when you're about to share the message where you realize, I am taking this struggle, or I'm taking this story, and I'm putting it in front of somebody who may receive it and they may not. Back in the day, some of you who've been through the membership class have heard me talk about our neighbor, Teddy. You've heard the glorious ending to the story, but you haven't heard the glorious beginning. Teddy was one of our neighbors, he and his wife, Trudy, and they lived on the back half of our apartment complex. We were on the same floor, and uh, I was preaching a message to our student ministry and uh, asked the students to pray about inviting a friend to a baseball game. This was back the year that the Texas Rangers made it uh, to the World Series. And uh, I'll never forget, that particular year, there were two years that they made the World Series back-to-back. They lost both years. First year, they lost to San Francisco Giants. Second year, they lost to uh, uh, the, uh, the St. Louis Cardinals. Okay, you, somebody got some Cardinals fans in here. Don't gloat, all right? Back in those days, the Rangers had been so bad for so long, you used to be able to get tickets for like six bucks each. And then they got a little bit better this particular year. Well, I told the kids, pray about inviting someone to the baseball game and we'll buy a ticket and they can spend some time around Christians and maybe we can get them to come to church at some point. Well, I start to feel this heaviness in my heart that I'm supposed to ask my neighbor. He worked at the Great Wolf Lodge, was one of their heads of maintenance there. He and his wife, Trudy, were from California. And the game that the Rangers were playing was against the Anaheim Angels, California Angels. So here's the deal. If you know anything about American League Baseball, the Angels and the Rangers hated each other through that stretch. I mean, deeply hated each other because they were battling for first place in the division. So I get the courage to go and ask Teddy to come to the game. But it's mostly junior high and high school kids at the game that we go to. And so um, invite Teddy to come to the game. And he goes, well, really? He goes, you know, we talk out in front of the apartment. But he goes, you've never invited me to go do something before. He goes, I think that'd be great. He goes, they're playing the Angels. You mind if I wear my Angels gear? And I was like, okay, yeah, no big deal at all. He shows up. And I did not realize he wasn't just a fan. He was an obnoxious fan. (laughs) We walk in. And I'm running the youth event, too. So we got all these students there, and we walk into the event, and I'm starting to feel nervous because Teddy is heckling people as he walks into the stadium. And then when we get to our seats, the Rangers had just traded for a player named Josh Hamilton. Hamilton would be the one that helped turn the franchise around, but Hamilton was fresh from rehab. It's a true story. Um, So we get up there, and we're sitting down, and then all of a sudden in the seat, junior high students around him, Teddy's not a believer. He He would get saved a year later. But this first meeting, Hamilton gets up to bat, and at the top of his lungs, Teddy yells, crackhead, and he starts yelling that in the stadium. And I'm sitting there, and like they're the parents there looking like, who did you bring to the game? And I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is awful. And so I, I'm sitting next to Teddy, and then I'm, I'm on this side, he's right here, and then nobody's in the seat next to him. And so I'm sitting next to him, and I look over, and I, I just like, I have to say something to him. So I'm like, Teddy, can you? And he goes, oh, I, I'm sorry. He goes, I'll, I'll be a little bit quieter. Crackhead. And then he said it just a little bit quieter. I was like, oh, this is awful. This is awful. About that time, remember, you're not alone. The Lord is with you. We had a little seventh grade boy. And this seventh grade boy, heart of a minister, true calling on his life. His dad was the pastor of a uh, predominantly Spanish-speaking congregation that met in a trailer park there in town. This kid gets up from his seat and goes and sits down next to Teddy 
on the other side. And then all of a sudden, he begins asking him questions about being an Angels fan and where he was from. And you watched it. I mean, I nearly cried sitting next to him because I'm sitting there going, oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Wringing my hands, both in my heart and probably literally, just wringing my hands. And the Lord sent this young man to sit next to him. And he didn't make that call a single time to the rest of the game. You're not alone. And what you're going through, the Lord knows what you can handle. And the beautiful end of the story is I got to pray with Teddy to receive Christ about a year later. Now listen, we get so afraid and the devil wants you feeling like you are backed into a corner, like you are down underneath the stairs and that there's no way out. There's no hope. There's no way God could do anything. We're about to read in verse 37 in this passage, with God, all things are possible. He is with you. In the darkest moments, and if he has crafted that path for you, there is a way for you to stand up under the pressure. Just for the record, David says it this way. Save your spot there in Luke 1, and now flip over to Psalm 116, verses 1 through 6. David is under incredible pressure, and what he says in Psalm 116 is so powerful. Look at what it says here. He says, verse 1, I love the Lord. He starts off the whole passage this way. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy because he turned his ear to me. I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came upon me. I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. Look at this. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, save me. And the Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the simple hearted. Underline that word simple hearted there. When I was in great need, he saved me. What I love about this passage is David starts off the whole thing by saying, I felt like like the cords of death were around me, but I love the Lord because he heard me in the midst of my cry, in the midst of my anguish, in the midst of my difficulty. He cared for me, even with the weight of the universe on his shoulders. He heard my cry. He's full of compassion, and he protects the simple-hearted. He protects those who are not smart enough to protect themselves, which, by the way, people, is every stinking one of us. When I was in great need, he saved me. The devil doesn't want you to remember that this time of year. All he wants you focused on is what you don't have, who you don't have, how this world is so big and so scary that you would wall off and isolate and then you would render yourself ineffective. Remember, the devil can't beat you. He can only distract you and discourage you. His goal is to get you to take yourself out of the game because that's the only way he can win. Scripture says, greater is he that's in me than any power that's in this world. You got Jesus, you win. It begs the question, do you remember that the Lord is with you? Do you remember that you are not alone, that you don't have to stay in the depths, that he has lifted us up and put our feet on the rock? Let's keep moving. Flip over back to Luke chapter one again. And we'll get a bit more of our Christmas story. Look at what it says next. Luke chapter 1, verse 29 through 38. It says, Mary was greatly troubled at the words 
And she wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have what? Found favor. There's that word again, with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him his th- the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. The angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. Look at verse 37. You can sum up the entire Christmas story in this one verse. For nothing is impossible with God. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. It says, then the angel left her. Those of you who were with us last week, do you remember what uh, Zechariah says when he's greeted by the angel Gabriel? Man, your wife's going to have a son, and what does he say? He says, how can this be? My wife is barren, and we're well along in years. Notice that Mary asks the exact same question that Zechariah does. She comes back and says, how can this be? I've not been with the man. How can this be? I'm not even pregnant with the child and then the angel comes back and says you're going to have to have faith you're going to have to trust that the Lord can do this that the impossible is possible with almighty God and then in comparison to Zechariah who was faithless in comparison to Peter that we read about moments ago where he struggled with faith in this moment and tried to compare himself to John what does Mary the wonderful woman of God do right here she says let it be to me as you have said I love that little clause to me because we struggle with selfishness when weights are put on our shoulders, don't we? We struggle with selfishness. And she instead says to me, do as you will. I'm your servant. I trust you. In seminary, we call Mary the Theotokos. In Greek, that means the God-bearer. Just for the record, it doesn't mean that she's a deity, It just means that you acknowledge the weight of this moment. She was the one favored and chosen, preferred by God to carry his son, crafted for this very moment. And her faith, the faith in my opinion here is unparalleled. To receive it, knowing how difficult it would be, and yet being able to see that we would be blessed in this very room today by the work that she would put in, that the Lord would do through her. If you're taking notes, what should we remember when an impossible task is ahead? Number one, you're not alone. And number two, you are richly blessed. You are richly blessed. The first lie of the enemy is that you're all by yourself. The second lie of the enemy is then to start comparing your blessings to others' blessings, to compare what you've been given to what others have been given, whether it be in family, whether it be in money, whether it be in position, power, or leadership, or even just phase of life. For some of you, maybe it's to be envious of youth, energy that someone else has. We are richly blessed. If you are looking for a way that you don't measure up by comparing yourself to someone else, it's going to be pretty easy to find. All I had to do was look in the mirror today and see this blister I got on the front of my lip, and I went, you know what? Three services of people are going to have to look at this, and it'll be on podcast for a long, long time, right? All you got to do is look in the mirror and you can see a thousand ways you don't measure up. But did you know that all you got to do is look in the mirror 
and you can see a thousand ways that God has blessed you, it's all about a change in mindset. Amen. It's all about a change in mindset. What are you looking for? Are you looking for the ways you don't measure up? Because if you are, you're going to find them. Or are you looking for the ways that the fingerprints of God are all over every aspect of your life? Sometimes the stories that we navigate go through the same thing in the same story. With Mary, she's just heard that it's going to be a tough and difficult road, and she knows it. She's afraid from the very moment she sees the angel. But by the end, she submits to God's leadership and has faith that he has crafted her for such a time as this. Some of you have heard our story about coming to Waterfront Church. But I had a vision 10 years, I had a vision 10 years before we would plant. Just for the record, I had a vision one time. That's all my little brain could handle. Okay? But it was a vision for a people I'd never met and a place I'd never been. I'd never even been to DC at that point in Washington, DC. I have that crazy vision. And then I'm telling you, there were all these cool moments leading up to it where I could see that God had fashioned me for this moment. But 36 hours before we moved to DC, my dad, who was my best friend, my mentor, our church planting pastor, he complained of stomach pains that would end up being neuroendocrine stage three pancreatic cancer. They gave my dad 30 days to live right after we moved to D.C. And I remember thinking, Lord, why? Church, service was, or church was supposed to start on August the 10th, and they told me that dad would die even before that date. And I'm sitting there in prayer and going, Lord, what do I do? You gave me this vision that I've been working towards for more than a decade, and I want to be a good son. I, I want to take care of my dad. And he was working at the church that I had worked at for almost five years. And I'm sitting there before the Lord going, what am I supposed to do? It's impossible. This task that you put in front of me, do I follow the vision that you laid out, or do I go home and bear my father what am I supposed to do and in that moment the spirit spoke so strongly to both myself and to my wife that we were supposed to stay here and plant the church that didn't even exist at this point we didn't know any of you and I remember I called my dad and I'm weeping and I said dad I can't do it I have to stay here and my dad was so godly his response was you were thinking of coming home <laughs> he said I wouldn't have let you if you tried he was so special he said, you got to see what the Lord put in front of you 10 years before. You know what's crazy? That first stretch, all I could think of was, God, why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this to me? Why are you making me choose this? And then one day I just decided, what good was it doing with me screaming at God, why are you doing this to me? And instead, I made the decision that I was just going to trust him. The end of the story is amazing. Some of you guys were here for that day. The church not only existed, but we had 84 D.C. residents on our very first Sunday. It was absolutely unheard of. It was amazing. Met at the second floor of the Courtyard Marriott Hotel, Norma. After that first service, my dad, actually his cancer got better for a time. Only 3.2% of people with that stage three pancreatic cancer lived six months or longer. 3.2%. Dad would live nine. In his last sermon, he would call them his extra innings since he got nine of them. Two weeks before he died, one of our church members got dad an opportunity to pray at the Capitol building. My father prayed his last public prayer two weeks before he died behind the podium just in front of where the Speaker of the House speaks on the floor 
of the House of Representatives. It was unbelievable. The shift took place in me where instead of me going, why do I have to deal with this? Why do I have this struggle? Other people my age haven't gone through this, but plenty of them had. I learned that. All of a sudden, I came to the other side where I could praise God for the days he felt good. I could praise God for the victories he saw. My dad, while he was taking chemo, they used to call it chemo church. He would go in for his chemo treatments and he actually led his oncologist to Christ while he was going through his chemo treatments. They would see people come to Christ almost every week when he'd go and sit in that chemo room. It was amazing. His story got spread all over West Texas and even here in D.C. The blessings of God are all around you. Stop getting tied up in what you don't have or what somebody else has. This time of year is the reminder when he appeared, the soul felt its worth. That beautiful line from O Holy Night. When he appeared, the soul felt its worth. This time of year isn't about what you have or don't have. This time of year is about God loving us so much that he would send his one and only son to take our place as the sin substitute for us that we might spend eternity with God who loved us and created us. If you're taking notes, a little quote here for you. The rewards for faithfulness are eternal The rewards for faithfulness are eternal. Those impossible tasks put in front of you, those will be the ones that we tell the story for eternity of how God came through for us, even in the midst of the impossible. It begs the question, are you conscious of what God is up to? Are you conscious of what God is up to? Or can you only see yourself when you look in the mirror? One last little story and we'll close. Look at Luke chapter one, and now let's look at verses 39 through 45. So she's just heard this amazing story. Look at what happens next. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. Look at this, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. Watch this in 43. But why am I so favored? She uses the magic word here that the angel had used twice. Look at this. Why am I? so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to see me. As soon as the sound of your meeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said will be accomplished. Now stop there for just a minute. You've got to see the practical in this. Mary's had this vision. She's had this amazing meeting with the angel. And what does she do? She's been told a buzzword. She's been told the word favored twice by the angel. And she's been told the name of her cousin Elizabeth, the one that she had prayed for probably Probably since she was born, that she could have, that Elizabeth could have a child one day. So what does Mary do? Mary is trying to verify the vision that she has had from the angel, the visit she's had from the angel. So she runs to the person that was named, and when she walks in, remember our study last week, Elizabeth has been in seclusion and nobody knows she's pregnant. Mary walks in, sees Elizabeth, big pregnant, and goes, whoa, this is for real. This really happened. And then to add a cherry on the Sunday, what does Elizabeth say? Why am I so highly favored? And Mary goes, whoa, the angel said that word twice. It's a picture of the reaffirmation of Almighty God. In your impossible journey, the Lord doesn't just send you on your way and say, deal with it. It's going to be tough. Deal with it. He's going to provide step-by-step encouragement along the way so that you can walk the path.
favored Elizabeth, that she is pregnant in the midst of her old age. If you're taking notes, what should we remember when an impossible task is ahead? Number one, you're not alone. Number two, you are richly blessed. And number three, you are an encouragement to others. You are an encouragement to others. Both Mary and Elizabeth are both encouraged as they share the story of the impossible journey that the Lord has marked out for them. There are some of you in this room who have already been through your impossible journey. You've got stories of God's greatness and you've come out on the other side and the word we would use for that in church work is delivered. You've been delivered through a time of great difficulty. When's the last time you told the story to somebody? When's the last time you shared the story of your deliverance to bring hope to someone else? Got to see the Frenches back here today. I'm telling you, anytime I see the word French, I just think of the way Marshall was delivered. Their son got a heart transplant. Prayed for him right here in this church. And then to, just to, I love getting to see the picture today of your boy. If you're watching, Marshall, we miss you. Come to church soon, all right? Now listen, your story of deliverance, God didn't just give you that story so you could just sit on it. He's giving you that story to share it with others because maybe, just maybe, they're navigating something similar. I've told this story at length, so I will tell the short version. But around Christmas, years ago, there was a person that I dated for three and a half years when I was in college, and we broke up around Christmas time. And not only did we break up, but we were engaged. And so we broke off the engagement in order for us to go our separate ways. If you've been through that in this room, I want to offer you hope today. I felt so broken, and I remember feeling like I was the only person in the whole world that had ever gone through that type of mistake, and I felt so isolated and alone. The enemy was telling me that I was alone and that I would not be blessed in the future because it could never be as good as it was before. And I'll never forget in that isolation one day, my phone rings, and it was my aunt, Aunt Jane. My mom has four sisters. Aunt Jane, I'd hasten to say this on the podcast because they're probably watching, but my Aunt Jane was the most put together, all right? She was the one. She was a PE teacher. Again, she ruled the, ruled the PE station with an iron fist. I mean, she just, again, wonderful, godly woman. And again, wonderful children, wonderful grandchildren. She just made a lot of really good decisions. And in the midst of the darkness, she couldn't have known I was having such a low day. But my aunt called me. She never called. And she called me. And she said, I just need to tell you a story. She said, you know, I had a botched engagement too. I said, really, you? She said, I sure did. She said it was brutal. It was painful. But she said, look at the way God is blessed on the other side. I remember my jaw was on the ground as she told me the story. And now here I am, a grown 38-year-old man. Autumn and I, next month, we married 15 years. Not only that, we got four amazing kiddos and then one big kid, Waterfront Church. <laughs> Can I just tell you, the Lord had incredible blessing waiting on the other side. But that moment, that moment I felt so low. It was like living on the edge of a knife. And that one phone call, that one story of encouragement helped me to find the courage to fight through for another day. I can't help but wonder if there might be some of you here today that you've been through it. You've navigated infertility. You've navigated death and grief. You've navigated being out of work. 
You've navigated difficult situations with children or unthinkable situations through the death of one of your children. And you would say the Lord has still been good even in the midst of the mess and he will deliver you just as he delivered me. It was one thing to hear that from friends. It was another thing to hear it from someone who'd been through it. In this case, Mary finds Elizabeth and the two strengthen one another. Is there somebody you need to tell your story to today? That before the sun goes down on December 31st, that you find a way to reach out to that person and share your story of deliverance and you do it in the name of Jesus Christ. Last question or last line and we'll call it a day. You are not the only one God has called to the impossible. You are not the only one that God has called to the impossible. Keep that in mind. And again, we can offer great encouragement to one another. I'm gonna pray for us and then we'll, uh, we'll go through our time of invitation. Don't tune out. This is the most important part of the whole service. Are you ready? Let's bow our heads for prayer. With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around but just me. We call this our time of reflection Nothing mystical or magical about this time, just a chance for us to stop and to process how we're different because of the songs we've sung, the sermon we've heard, and specifically the scripture that we've read. With nobody looking around but just me, is there anyone here today that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? The devil's been whispering in my ear that I'm all alone, that I'm the only one going through a time of difficulty, that I'm the only one going through this mess, that my life doesn't measure up. With nobody looking but just me, if you're here and you'd say, Zach, would you pray for me? Would you pray that I would remember the truth that the Lord is with me, that he created me for such a time as this, for such a moment as this, to walk with him in victory? With nobody looking but just me, if that's you, I just want to pray for you. If you just lift your hand where you are right now, ready, set, go. Thank you. Thank you, so many of you. Y'all can put your hands down. It is a lie of the devil that you are alone. The Lord is with you. He made you. And you are able to stand up under whatever it is that is in front of you. I'm going to pray for you, but you've got to know that and believe it in your heart. Second, maybe there are some of you that would say, Zach, I'm the one who's fallen into the trap of comparison. I'm looking at what everybody else has. And when I look in the mirror, all I see is where I don't measure up with nobody looking but just me, if that's you and you'd say, Zach, pray for me. Pray that I would open my eyes to see what God sees, that I am richly blessed and that I wouldn't see my shortcomings, but that I would see the great blessing. With nobody looking but just me, if that's you, if you just lift your hand where you are right now, ready, set, go. That's powerful. That's powerful. So many of you, y'all can put your hands down. Thank you for your honesty. This time of year, Do not get caught in that comparison culture. Trust God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength and ask him this simple request. God, give me your eyes. Let me see what you see. And then I want to give you a challenge. If that was you, I want you just to start with a piece of paper, just start listing all the blessings. It can be so small, like someone shook my hand in the church service today. It can be something so small, like I found a parking spot today. Man, you want to talk about big miracles in this city? That you find a parking spot when you were looking for one is a miracle. Give God credit in the small things, and you'll be able to see his fingerprints all over your life. And then last but not least, 
Maybe there are some of you here that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? It's time I shared my story of deliverance. It's time I shared my story and the Holy Spirit has placed someone in your heart and life that you need to share that story with. With nobody looking but just me, that moment meant the world to me for my aunt. With nobody looking but just me, if you'd say, Zach, that's me. I need to share my story with someone. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. It's powerful. It's powerful. That's powerful. Y'all can put your hands down. Thank you for that. Before the sun goes down on Christmas Eve, make that call. Before the sun goes down on Christmas Eve, make that call. I love you guys. Let me pray for us, and then we'll close. Father, thank you so much for this day and for your blessings in it. Thank you so much for the stories that we've gotten to read today. Thank you for the faith of the psalmist. Thank you for the faith of of Peter. And Lord, we thank you so much for the example that we get from Mary here, this impossible day that would affect us for eternity. Lord, we thank you for the faith she exhibits in this moment. Lord, for those who are here today and the enemy is whispering in their ear that they are alone, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that they would remember the hope that we have through the shed blood of Jesus. I pray that they would remember that they are not alone, that you made them, that you love them, and that you have a path fashioned for them, a purpose for their lives. Lord, I pray for those who are here trapped in the culture of comparison that you would break those chains, that you would set them free today and in the name of Jesus Christ that when they look in the mirror they would be able to see all the different ways that they are richly blessed. I pray that you would help them to count those blessings, to name them one by one and Lord, through that process they would be set free and filled with gratitude and thankfulness. And Lord, your word tells us a thankful heart brings us to the feet of Jesus just like the leper that came back after he was healed. Lord, I also pray for those who are called to share their story today. I pray that you would give them courage before the sun goes down on December 31st to reach out to a friend, share their journey, and Lord, I pray that they might offer encouragement just like Mary and Elizabeth in this passage. Thank you, God, for who you are. Speak in power. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.